Hello and God bless you. This is Pastor Jeremy, and what a delight to be with you all today on this Monday, October 19th of 2020. We'd like to welcome all our listeners. We pray that you had uh, a, a good weekend. You were able to rest. You were able to be with your families. And uh, today, as we begin this new week on this Monday, um, there's always an excitement in our hearts. But there's always an expectation in our hearts that God has something fresh for us today. And and I'm excited, and we pray that you are excited, and you're looking forward to spend this week with us together, studying and fellowshipping in the Word of God. Today in our panel, we have Brother Marty and Brother Fernando joining us as we, as always, as we say, it is a privilege and an honor to be able to study the Word of God together. So, Brother Marty, as we continue on our mission on the book of Acts, we'll leave it to you to share uh, what God has placed in your heart as we study the Word of God together. Well, it's good to be back for another week. As we get started this Monday, we are uh, continuing to look in our studies, and uh, the title of our series is Paul in Athens. Uh, we haven't gotten him to Athens yet, but we're on our way. We're getting closer and today we're going to uh, to explore uh, a little further down the road as we're approaching Athens. We can we can almost see it in the distance, but <laughs> we'll get there eventually. So I'm going to have Brother Jeremy begin our study today in uh, Acts chapter 15, and uh, I'd like him to uh, to read uh, verse 37 uh, through 40. As we begin our Bible study this week, we encourage you to uh, to have your Bibles. We're glad you've joined us, and we're, we're looking forward to a great week in the Word of God. So, Brother Jeremy, in the name of Jesus, let's, let's begin our week, and uh, would you please begin by reading us Acts chapter 15, verse 37 through 40. Amen. Amen. And Barnabas determined to take with them John, whose surname was Mark. But Paul thought not good to take him with them, who departed from them from Pamphylia, and went not with them to the work. And the contention was so sharp between them that they departed asunder one from the other. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed unto Cyprus. And Paul chose Silas and departed, being recommended by the brethren unto the grace of God. Praise the Lord. So Paul chose Silas and departed. You know, we've been exploring the trials and the tests of the early church, and uh, we're focusing on the work of the Holy Spirit as he as he's been building the church of the Lord Jesus Christ or Christ Jesus, right? And we really encourage our audience to to review these podcasts of uh, Paul in Athens um, in order to to be current as we go forward this week. If you're just joining us. Uh, really, it's been a general overview to this point of the book of Acts. Um, and, you know, it's not exhaustive or anything, but we've been pointing out some things as we've literally gone through every chapter <laughs> up to this point. We've been in every single chapter for the last 16 chapters. And, and so really, it's just been a general overview, but it's been quite enlightening and and uh, exciting to explore the, the formation of the church and the conditions uh, that the church found itself in, the all-too-common human struggle uh, between the, the apostles and the disciples and, and all the, the different uh, 
historical figures that we've been examining. And, and so, like I said, it's been a more of a general overview, but I find it incredibly beautiful and fascinating how the fragility of, of this, this burgeoning new uh, work of God in the earth called the church in its, in its most fragile state given into the hands of mere men um, is, 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 it's extraordinary to me because it could not have endured if it wasn't for the Holy Spirit. It could not have endured for the last 2,000 years if it was merely a, a work of men. Um, the Bible talks about Jesus coming precisely at the right moment in human history, in the fullness of time, is how Paul would go on to describe it in his letters. But it's a fascinating thing to me. So it's been a general overview in that sense, but our goal as the Holy Spirit allows us, is to arrive in chapter 17 with, with the Apostle Paul in Athens. And we're very close, uh, but there's still a little ways to go. So as we continue today, uh, let's just do a little brief review. We, we, we saw last time we left off, a great council had assembled um, in Jerusalem, which was led by James. And, 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 and really that was after Barnabas and Paul's uh, first missionary journey trip, which took almost two years. And when they returned from that trip, which you can read about in Acts chapter 13, uh, they told the Gentile church in Antioch, which is where they were first called Christians, remember, uh, what God had done on the mission field and that many churches were, were born uh, amongst the Gentile people. And when they returned, it was then uh, that they were confronted by false teachers who had come from Jerusalem uh, who began to teach to them, and uh, specifically the Gentile believers of this new burgeoning work called Christianity, uh, that they really weren't saved, and that they they weren't saved because they hadn't entered into the covenant of circumcision as laid down in the law of Moses. So the crisis was no small thing. Antioch, like I said, is where they were first called Christians, and now they were being invaded by a uh, you know a, a contramanding doctrine. Uh, which they had been uh, had not been exposed to. All they knew were the teachings of Paul and Barnabas and, and 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 the prophets and the great things that God was doing there. But you know they were teaching this burgeoning Gentile church, like we said, they weren't saved unless they kept the law of Moses, and and so that's what caused this council uh, to to be gathered in Jerusalem. And what emerged from the council uh, is is really a work of the Holy Spirit, because in essence, it preserved the early church. You know, and it's easy to just go over these things and, and not really, you know, think about the importance uh, of these things we're discussing. Again, like I said, to me, it's the most fascinating and marvelous thing to witness how the Holy Spirit works. All too often when we read scripture, we, we, we go by so much that we don't even realize we're missing what's being said here. But when you consider uh, each one of these crisis events in theology, uh, in behavior, or whatever it may be, in event-driven history, you know, whatever, um, each one of these events uh, were attempts uh, especially when when they were negative events, 
they were attempts of the spirit of the enemy moving through men to to uh, derail the early church even before it would blossom into its fullness. But you see the whole time the masterful um, <clears throat> you know working of the Holy Spirit which preserved the early church. And so what they determined at the council is very interesting because they did not impose the Mosaic law of circumcision for the covenant, <clears throat> but they instructed or instituted uh, and gave to them three things that they would have to deal with. And I'll have to confess with you, <clears throat> I, I find it you know, very interesting that they would lay down any laws, but I suppose they would have to. And, and there are several reasons why. I think it was necessary. Understand, at least the way that I've come to understand it, uh, and let us maybe go a little deeper in our own understanding collectively, is as we've been looking, and again, those of you just joining us, some of this will just be like, you know, you might get a little lost because you haven't been following along. So go back and listen to these. I think you'll be blessed by by the information the Lord has given us. But but understand that that the gospel as we know it today, the fullness of the New Testament, it hadn't even been written yet. And so there's a lot of dynamic interplay, thoughts, ideas, um, you know, theological concepts. You still had a situation where even though uh, you have uh, the apostles that are saved trying their best to, to obey the commandment of the Lord, they still didn't understand it in its fullness, which necessitated the... <laughs> Uh, what's the right word, the the arrival, if you will, of the ministry of St. Paul, because that is who God chose um, to to reveal the, the, the fullness of the gospel to. But what we are reading in the book of Acts is the unfolding progressive understanding that would collate itself in the eventual writings of the Apostle Paul, which would become as handed down to us uh, through the generations, uh, the New Testament. And so when we look at things like the council and when they're imposing uh, three particular things, it's interesting to explore how they came to these, these understandings and, and these agreements. And, uh, and, and yet, in some ways, when you look back on it, uh, as, as Paul would ultimately write uh, and, and unfold, uh, salvation through grace and that not of works, lest any man should boast. We see here interjected those three things that they came to understand and and, and give to the Gentile church as what they should do uh, in order to, uh, to to live right, so to speak. In some ways, and I know this might be a little controversial, once the gospel unfolded, uh, even those requirements uh, would seem to contradict the message of grace as Paul would ultimately reveal it, whether it's to the Romans or the Corinthians or the Galatians, on and on and on. It's just something for thought for for deeper Bible study. But for purposes of what conclusion they came to, um, I think it's interesting to look at those three things before we move on this morning. Brother Jeremy, could you read what they eventually said at that council? Um what James came to the conclusion, uh, could you read to us uh, chapter 15, verse 18 through 20? And these are the three things in their conclusion at this big council meeting. Yes. Known unto God 
are all his works from the beginning of the world. Wherefore, my sentence is that we trouble not them which from among the Gentiles are turned to God, but that we write unto them that they abstain from pollutions of idols and from fornication and from things strangled and from blood. So that was the conclusion they came to. We're going to give them these three things that they shouldn't do, and that's what we'll send to them. But there's a real political component going on here, almost like a religious politics. I hate to use it or say it that way, but it, it goes without, you know, if we don't notice it, then we then we miss the essence of how even when we're not perfect in our understanding, God is above all that. And and it, and it's interesting that James points out and says that it's not necessarily something that he would absolutely stand on and say, God is saying this. In verse 19, he says, it's my sentence. Right? Yeah. Can you read yeah. that? Right? He says, wherefore yeah. my, <laughs> my sentences. He says, wherefore right. my sentences that we trouble not them. There's a, a, a tone there of, uh, you know, just to appease uh, the people in Jerusalem, right? I think so. I think that's interesting. You know, because in verse 5, what do we read? Can you read verse 5, Brother Jeremy? Uh, verse 5. Oh, yes. But there rose up certain of the sect of the Pharisees, which believed, saying that it was needful to circumcise and to command to command them to keep the law of Moses. So this is interesting because the Pharisees, uh, this is a group of, of believers. It says they were believers. But again, like we've been saying, we're looking at the early church and the gospel hasn't been fully formed yet. But we see Pharisees, these are these are a group. Uh, that Jesus one time said, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the Pharisees, you shall in no wise enter into the kingdom of heaven. So they were they were they were highly respected and revered. Of course, <laughs> we know they were also a driving force behind the persecution and ultimate uh, handing over of the Lord to Pilate. But that's for another day. My point is this: is they're identified as Pharisees which believe, and so one of the the weighty things to consider in this council is you're standing in front of this group of men whose history goes back 400 plus years uh, to the days of Malachi, because it was after Malachi closed out the Old Testament, so to speak, as we have it today, uh, the Hebrew Bible, the Tanakh, whatever you want to call it, that 400 year period between Malachi and the Gospel of St. Matthew is when the Sadducees and the Pharisees developed as as uh, as sects within Judaism itself. And so when you have them at the council, you don't just have a group of guys standing around in robes, you know, I mean, this is a very politically and, and, and high level establishment types that you don't really want to offend. If you want to get real and put some flesh and blood on this, you know, you're, you're trying to win these people over. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? Right. I mean, you, 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 go ahead, brother. No, and I just think it's interest, interesting when you when when you look into the language that they use in verse five. 
It talks about that they rose up certain of the sect of the Pharisees which believed, saying, this wasn't a, subject, a, a suggestion that they were making. They yeah. were saying it is needful. And, and what that implies, well, no, what that means, it means to bind. It, it speaks about a binding. And, and the way I interpret this, they wanted to, yes, preach Jesus and the grace of God to the Gentiles, right? But still wanted to keep the people binded to Judaism, right? To the, mm. to the law, you know? And because that's what, it, that's what needful means. It, 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 yeah. it, 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 also, it means necessary as binding. And I think that's very interesting, you know, um, you know, what's behind that. That's a, it, it's, it's, it's a way to still keep a peace. Those that come out of, or, you know, Judaizers or the Pharisees. And, yeah. you know, it's like a mixture. You know what I'm saying? They wanted to well, do Well, you know, that's, that's a really excellent, excellent thing to point out there because let's just dig in there for a minute, you know, and think about what you just said because this is, this is where Paul, and we just finished saying, that the New Testament hadn't been fully developed yet. And so if you dig in and begin to see the moves and counter moves, you begin to see the the forming of the doctrine of the church within the uh the events where mm. where where theology is being developed. It it's where Satan's seat is. It's always wrapped up in in uh, <laughs> in false doctrine, you know. I mean, uh, this is because remember the Apostle Paul is witnessing this. He's there with Barnabas. It was them that had to go back to Jerusalem and settle this issue. Paul would later write because, brother, what you just pointed out, where you said uh, they were trying to to like, what did you say the word needful meant? Meant it, binding, you know, right? Okay, it's binding. So he, what they were saying in their theological argument, well, a couple of things you pointed out there I found interesting, which is a really good insight, how that they imposed their will in the discussion. So they carry with them already a sense of pride, right? Even though yeah. it was our boys who turned over your master to, to Pilate and crucified him. <laughs> Here we are several years later, right? And they're, you know, they're uh, they're acting as, yeah, they're acting as if they they'd always been part of the party, man. But they haven't always been part of the party. As a matter of fact, the, the Bible tells us early on, before Jesus was even crucified, that some of them believed, but they were they were more afraid of the council of uh, of the of the Sanhedrin than they were uh, of God. Remember, it said, you know, they, they loved the praises of men more than the praises of God, so they wouldn't come out publicly and admit they were. They were believers in Jesus back then. But here we are several years later now, and they carry with them that authoritarian, you know, we're experts in the word kind of feeling, having absolutely no clue that that, <laughs> that a new uh, thing was happening. So there's so much dynamic going on here. Excellent things to point out there, but uh, we want to bind you to the circumcision. Now, again, remember... Paul and Barnabas are standing there. Paul would later write, remember what he wrote as an argument, uh, a higher level of understanding of what actually happened when circumcision was initiated? Because he asked about, he, 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 he lays forth the argument in Romans, I think it's chapter four, somewhere in there, uh, 
when he's he's talking about Abraham. Now, when the Pharisees are mentioning circumcision, that's what they're saying. They're they're hearkening all the way back to Father Abraham when God circumcised him and then commanded Abraham to circumcise all his children. And every child that would be born within the eight-day period, they would have to be circumcised as a sign that, that Abraham's descendants were in a covenant with God. And so you can you can sympathize in measure for why they came to that conclusion and were so emphatic about it. You can't be part of God if you don't circumcise. Father Abraham circumcised. But Paul, mm. years later, remember? Years later, after yeah. his travels and, and, and the Holy Spirit revealing to him the gospel, would say, was Abraham justified because he, 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 he was circumcised? Or was Abraham justified because he believed, right? right? <laughs> All of that's right there. You know, he's beginning, the Holy Spirit uses events to teach. And and I think these are part and parcel of, you know, of a great scholarly life, a mind like Paul, where he would think back on these events. And, and his, the theology of the church is being shaped right here, mm-hmm. you know. And again, we looked at the other side of it. You know, we're just fishermen. We're humble fishermen. And now we're in Jerusalem. And now we're, we're part of these great theological councils. And, and the Pharisees, wow, you know, I mean, they were highly revered. They're part of us. And we've been, you know, and so you can see there as well that it's still a Jewish mindset, right? It's not a global yeah. mindset. We're bringing them into us is what was happening. It's a crisis. It really is. Brother Marty. You know, it, it, uh, go ahead, brother. <laughs> I just wanted to, sorry to interrupt, brother. I just, no, it's right. very good. I love this mm-hmm. discussion. But yeah, what you said is, first you said the Pharisees were, they were coming out with this authoritarian. We see them a few, just a few, what? months or years i mean they they're the ones who yeah. killed jesus now they had made their way in <laughs> and they had a voice and a seat among the council right of the apostles yeah. and then we see the pharisees uh telling them it is needful they want to bind right the law you know the ceremony to the message of grace or, or the message to the gentiles and then the bible says and then in verse five it was needful to circumcise them and to command. Now they're trying to get a hold of the message that's going to yes. transfer to the people. Because this is the message they were supposed to take to the Gentiles. Now we see them trying to hijack in, 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 in a way, if that's the correct word, yes. uh, the message or how to transmit the message, how to enjoin it. And so we're talking about high stakes here. Because Very much because so. which is what you just said, brother. It's we are talking about the development of the doctrine of the church, right? And and yes. this was a big thing. And we see the enemy sticking his ugly head, religion sticking his ugly head, to come mm-hmm. and affect, and really ultimately was to to hijack the message. You know, if they couldn't destroy Jesus, well, we'll we'll destroy the message, right? Right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And, and that's and what so, I'm. Uh, that's. Yeah, and that's what I'm saying, what you're pointing out there, is that the enemy himself, right, the seed of Satan is always false doctrine, and he sits right in that place of deception. Paul talked about him transforming himself into an angel of light. 
we can debate whether their attitude was one of of this or that right but but in essence what you're saying and i agree with you is they're being inspired uh, by a satanic spirit here see when we talk about satan and i think we better come to understand that especially in our times especially with what's happening around the whole world when we talk about satan he he don't care if you think about him as some you know debased you know crazy you know thing with horns and, and a pitchfork or, or whatever you know i mean the the more baser side of life if, if that's what you think about him then then he don't really care you know it, although it may be true that that's a fruit of some of the darker aspects of his children in this world the truth of the matter is he is the highest god said of him through ezekiel that he sealed up the sum of wisdom and that he <laughs> you know that that he 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 defiled his sanctuaries by the multitude of his trafficking it, it hints to his ability to orate and discuss and he always comes even when he when he uh you know when he encountered jesus in the wilderness the second temptation he quotes scripture to to the lord so he debates in the scriptural interpretation although his mind is so warped and corrupted and 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 has you know has declined from that high state of purity that he once had because the lord talked about iniquity being found in him we see that his influences as paul would later reveal in, in ephesians chapter 6 that that uh, we wrestle not against flesh and blood but against principalities and powers and the rulers of the darkness of this world well what is the darkness of this world Paul would later go on to reveal to the Corinthians that the darkness of this world is the cloud over and the veil over the mind of the unbeliever. It's there that he dwells. And so the influence of his his satanic philosophy is it, it, it's almost like someone who who blows on a coal and a barbecue, right? And you can see the the coal like heat up and get red. It's like that. He influenced their mind. And this is something that you're talking about, Brother Jeremy, that they stood upon the ground that they understood. But they really prove here, and so does everybody else at this point, that the fullness of the understanding of what actually happened at Calvary was not yet understood. Paul would write later that Abraham was justified by faith, not by, co but not by covenant circumcision. I think he learned it here. And I think he began to develop the understanding of it here as he stood in the company of the very Pharisees that he once sat at their feet and learned in their schools. It's quite fascinating. <laughs> it really is. Right? I think, I think the enemy took advantage of that uh, interim um, from Jesus' ascension to the full understanding of the New Testament. I think Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews, and I think it was Paul, uh, you know, leaves no doubt as to what yes. the, the meaning of the, of the new covenant was. But there was an interim where they were trying to put together what the writer of Hebrews uh, expressed and, and, and taught us concerning our faith now uh, in the past, present, and going into the future. So yes. it's, it's so key to understand that, that they're trying to find themselves, uh, or, or, you know, trying to fully understand the teachings of Christ, as they're being revealed by the Holy Spirit, they're not there yet. 
So the, the enemy uses things that are very familiar to them. Uh, Moses, uh, the old covenant, you know, um, mm -hmm. the, the, the sacrificial system, circumcision, you know, uh, and, and they're not understanding that those things are done away in within Christ. Now, those are all good things. But there's, there's a statement that you made that, that is made in the book of Revelation to uh, one of the churches, uh, the seat of Satan, also the synagogue of Satan is mentioned there, too. And this is yeah. exactly what the, the enemy is using um, this, 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 this opportunity where they don't mm -hmm. fully understand or grasp the gospel. And he's trying to manipulate things and form another gospel. Where ultimately, he he is uh, uh, where he is. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Preeminent in him to see yeah. Satan, right? Mm -hmm. and, and and so we see here, and and, and with the, lead, the the listener needs to take notice and 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 pay close attention of how false doctrine is formulated. Yes, we're given insight into it. We're not talking about here some out, about some outsiders. Yes. We're talking about the very apostles that walked with Jesus Christ. They happened to them, you know, where they almost, you know, drifted away. And and, yes. and, and again, this is this is why this whole staring of Barnabas and the Apostle Paul, you know, they're all part of this. They're all going to have a part of this dispensation that we all have now in full. Right? So yeah. it, it's so powerful. And think yeah. about the dynamic, if we can go just a little bit deeper here. Because what we're dealing with, and, and why I say to me, and I know it is to, 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 to all of us that are listening and thinking about it, why it's so fascinating is how conclusions were reached uh, what inspired human thought? What caused certain, uh, you know, tendencies uh, and, and, and conclusions to be arrived at? Because think of what we're talking about here at a much deeper level. Let's, let's just take it several levels deeper. You're talking about uh, an introduction for lack of a better way to describe this, at least how I see it, you're talking about an introduction of of uh, the counsel of God into the earth. It hasn't been here yet. That's good. And and so a new form of thinking. Again, we're limited by our humanness to describe these things, but. A new form of will. Paul talks about it as the will of God. It's always been the will of God. But it's yeah. being introduced into the world. Now consider, and I was going to mention this later, but I think this is a good place to, to mention this. Remember that the nations of the world are at stake here. Yes. The Gentile nations of the world are at stake here. The entire earth and the inhabitants of the earth uh, for the next 2,000 years are at stake here. And, 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 uh, man, Brother Marty, man of God, uh, I want to say this. You brought a, such a powerful statement there that the will of God, the eternal purpose of God is being revealed now to the world. Yeah. It's being manifested in the 
uh, material world. Two yeah. men. Men Two that men. are flawed, you know. And, yeah. and so that's why we see all the things that are transpiring in the book of Acts, which is so powerful, man. And you see the grace of God in it. Think about that. And, and the writer of Hebrews talks about that too, right? He spoke yeah. about that. We have not come to to the mountain that shook and, and, and was full of fire, right? Because that's when God first manifested himself to his <laughs> right. people in that form. But he says, we, but we've come to another mountain, right? Mount Zion. That, that's that. Yeah. His Amen. People, His right? people. So, so in the New Testament, he was doing the same thing he did in the Old Testament, but through his church. Powerful Incredible. stuff. Powerful stuff. It is. Mm. And, and, and think about what you're saying. I couldn't say it any better than that. That's exactly what we're saying. And you mentioned the original Mount Sinai when he brought the law. So overwhelming was the display that the people said, Moses, you go talk to him. We can't handle it. <laughs> right, right, right. But when he comes again, and as a matter of fact, brother, he came on the day of Pentecost. Mm. He came on the day of Pentecost. What we call Pentecost uh, actually happened uh, the, the, the 50 days after they, they left the Passover, when they were first delivered out of Egypt and they crossed the Red Sea and they finally get to Sinai. It's the pattern. It's the Passover, then what they call Shavuot, which is the day of Pentecost. It was the day of Pentecost that God descended on Mount Sinai. Well, all those thousands of years later, when the Holy Spirit came down in fire, he descended <laughs> from heaven on the same exact day that the Father had, had come down on Sinai all those years before when he brought Israel to himself and brought the law into the earth. The difference being what you pointed out, which made me think of this, is that the fire that then was visible uh, externally has come to rest in the hearts of his church, that same fire. And so yeah. as God dictated the law and, and the commandments to the people of Israel on Mount Sinai with an audible voice, he now has come and resided within his church and is speaking through them so that other men won't run in fear like Israel ran away. <laughs> Remember? Right. So, and, okay. That's the heavy stuff, man. I love that kind yeah. of thing because because that's what the scripture is implying. So what we see here then is that the will of God is being placed into the earth. And and again, getting back to, to, to the crisis here, remember that the nations of the world became the, the exclusive possession of Satan himself. When God interjected his will into the earth, it was to take a people to himself. He started with one nation. He started with Father Abraham. Then came Isaac and Jacob and the 12 tribes that grew into a great nation we call Israel. But that was his property. And he bought and paid for that property with the sacrifice of, <laughs> of, of the, as he puts it in the Psalms, all those baby boys that were killed by Pharaoh that were thrown in the Nile River, the, their blood was part and parcel of the redemption price. That the, the, the legal aspect by which the heavenly creator worked in the earth, his will, which was to take a people to himself, plus built upon the promises that were given before when Abraham offered Isaac and his hand was stayed. And God said, now I know that you will, you will obey me no matter what. And then he cuts a covenant with him. 
that takes it further and he starts to talk about the stars of the heaven and the sands of the sea, so shall thy seed be, and in thee shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. It was a hidden prophetic thing that was foretelling of the coming of the heavenly Isaac. And so when we see what is happening here and why the enemy was contending so strong in all these events was he was trying to prevent the will of God from going to the nations of the world, which he has been controlling since, since the Garden of Eden. But see, Jesus said in Matthew 28, which we explored in podcast several months ago, where he stood and told his disciples after the resurrection, all power has been given unto me in heaven and the earth. And then he says, so go into all the world now and take back what belongs to my heavenly father, what belongs to us, really, right? (laughs) Mm -hmm. I bought and paid for it in my blood. (laughs) Hallelujah. I have redeemed the world. And they now, the whole world belongs to me. Everything belongs to me. That's what you guys were doing in your podcast a few weeks ago when you guys were discussing Psalm chapter two, right? Why do the heathen rage? In that, he talks about that he's given the son the heathen for his inheritance. And so what was so crucial here is the devil knows it. He was destroyed on Calvary. His authority, his head was crushed. What we're witnessing is simply the throes of a satanic kingdom that has been resisting what has already legally been decided. And so what we are seeing in the midst of the complex unfolding of light versus darkness is, is, is the birth of the church, which is made up of all the nations of the world, including the Jew. And that was what he was contesting and trying to prevent. Now, he couldn't do it on a legal basis in the sense that I still own the nations because Christ beat him on, <laughs> right there. <laughs> he beat him right mm. there on Calvary. That's why he pressed him so hard in the Garden of Gethsemane. He sweat, as it were, great drops of blood. He was trying to move him outside of that will of his father, but he couldn't do it. Hallelujah. He could not do it. And because he paid the price, he paid the price for the whole world. That's what God uh, revealed through Christ to Nicodemus in, in John chapter 316, right? He said, God so loved the world that he gave his, he so loved the world. He gave his only son that whoever believes in him will no longer perish, but have everlasting life. Because he, what he went on to, to say to Nicodemus was God didn't send his son in the world to condemn it. Not He, he came to save it. He came to rescue those that were appointed from amongst the nations to him. And so what the devil did in the early church was, was he couldn't lay, lay claim anymore to the nations. So he twi- tried to thwart the nations uh, from, uh, from going toward the gospel. And so he began by slithering his way in into the councils and the debates of theology as the gospel was yet being formed. And the fact that the Holy Spirit who had been sent from heaven is so brilliant that he could, even in the midst of all that, working with flawed men and, uh, and, and a devil, right, uh, he was able to preserve the church for the last 2,000 years and cause the gospel itself to be revealed in four gospels written by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, in 14 epistles written by the great apostle Paul, 
in two epistles written by by the apostle Peter in the letter from James and Jude and and, and the five books that were given to us by uh, by the apostle John. It's an incredible thing. My God. <laughs> Hallelujah. What a savior. Right? Yes. <laughs> Only God could do such a thing, man. <laughs> That's why the Bible says all scripture was given by what? By inspiration. Inspiration. The Holy Spirit. Yes. My God. Hallelujah. You guys Hallelujah. got me all excited down, man. <laughs> oh my Lord. This is just the introduction, right? So look. <laughs> look at this. <laughs> so the conclusion they came to. The dynamic that you guys brought. I mean, think of the human interactions. You know, you finally got some Pharisees there with you. I mean, you feel like you're making inroads. And then you got these upstarts, Barnabas and Paul, saying, hey, man, the Gentiles are saved. And we don't agree with this whole mosaic thing. Wow. That's a that's yeah. an intense meeting they had. So, so James says, this is my sentence. This is the conclusion they come to. And Brother Jeremy just read it, the, the three things. Now, when I dug into that this morning uh, and, and was meditating on it again, I thought, you know, it's very interesting, uh, you know, because in, in, in measure, what it did was it preserved the freedom of the of the Gentile church. It began to further along the the development of the understanding that it's by grace and not of works, lest any man should boast. It solidified the prophetic scriptures that that had been spoken some hundreds and hundreds of years earlier by the prophet Isaiah, who said that the Gentiles would come uh, to the Lord Jesus Christ, the brightness of his rising, right, uh, and that they would hope in his light. All of this occurred out of this council. It preserved all that. So much was going on. And the wisdom by which the Holy Spirit was able to get them to conclude to just these three things. It's quite amazing because really each and every one of them dealt with a particular aspect of our humanity. What's the first one, Brother Jeremy? In verse 20. Yeah. Verse 20. But that we write unto them that they abstain from pollutions of idols. So the first thing that he's dealing with is spirit. Uh, idolatry. That, that that's the essence of spirit or spirituality. So they 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 elevated the thought and the concept they came to is we need to deal with spirit. So there's only one real true God, right? So they're saying, you Gentiles, quit worshiping idols because if not, you're polluting your your spirituality. So stop that. <laughs> and there's only one God. So they deal with spirit. The second thing they deal with is what, Brother Jim? What's the second thing they told them not to do? From fornication. From fornication. Well, this implicates uh, the body, right? Because fornication is performed uh, with the body. But particularly uh, also because uh, they had state-sanctioned prostitution with a spiritual component. In other words, there were, there were temple prostitutes that was all over the Greek and Roman world. And so they deal with spirit when they mention idols. They deal with the body when they mention the, uh, the, 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 the fornication part. 
and then they deal with the soul, which is what, Brother Jeremy? From things strangled and from blood. Now, this is interesting because what this harkens to, this strangled and blood thing, it goes back all the way to Noah and, and, and the covenant that God cut with Noah. So they went past the Levitical law and they drew upon something that God told Noah. Can you look at that, Brother Jeremy, in Genesis yes. chapter 9? Yes. Genesis chapter 9, uh, I think it's verse 4 and 5. Let me see here. Yeah, that is. <clears throat> Can you read that to us? Yes. But flesh, with the life thereof, which is the blood thereof, shall ye not eat. And surely your blood of your lives will I require it. At the hand of every beast will I require it. And at the hand of man, at the hand of every man's brother, will I require the life of man. And so, and so he's dealing with the blood, and, and, and as we know that the life is in the blood. So he, the life that he's speaking of there is soul, the, that which animates the mind. And so the, the actual basis for the third thing, which deals with soul, uh, goes all the way back past the Levitical law. Yet it is a law. It's known as the, the, the Noahide law, part of the Noahic law the covenant that, that was applicable to all nations because there wasn't a Jewish people yet, remember? <laughs> it's the beginning of humanity here after the flood. And so God, it, it's brilliant, really, this conclusion because they, they, they do not bring them up underneath the Levitical law with this concluding thought. They take them all the way back to Noah when there was neither Jew or Gentile, there was just humanity. And so this particular law, which applies to soul, applied to the whole of humanity. And so in a brilliant stroke, James uh, was able to appease not only at that moment, the Pharisees and those that were still holding to, to, to Moses, because they couldn't argue that, because that's in the book of Genesis. And at the same time, maintaining the liberty of this burgeoning Christianity which is the work and the labor of the Holy Spirit through Paul and Barnabas and the initial brothers uh, who, who came and preached to the Greeks to begin with. It's an amazing thing, don't you think? <laughs> so, yes. so, they, yes. so they dealt with spirit, with soul, and with body. Mm -hmm. So basically the three edicts uh, were, were dealing with the purity of the whole human being. And, and, and the requirements uh, of an adjusted and different life uh, was what they initially came to understand uh, was necessary for the Gentiles. However, if you notice, they still were maintaining themselves in statutes and ordinances of the Mosaic law themselves. So the church is still growing and developing, but the Gentiles have been preserved in an amazing move by the Holy Spirit to inspire the mind of James and the others uh, through what they argued. And so they returned to Antioch in joy and, and with the assurance that uh, th there was an early consensus as the gospel continued to be formed in its theology. I know those are fancy words for 
for many people, but, but, but what we're witnessing is the unseen hand of the Holy Spirit of Almighty God beginning to reveal and open up 15 years in after Jesus ascended into heaven, the very beginnings and, and, and continued furtherance of the pathways within the meditative process of the Holy Apostle Paul, who has yet to even write one letter in the New Testament. But here we see the Holy Spirit dealing with him as the Apostle to the Gentiles, as well as everybody else. Were you going to say something, Brother Jeremy? No, no, I'm just uh, listening. This is good. So, so after spending another year in Antioch, uh, Barnabas and Paul ended up parting ways, and that's where we started today, right? I mean, uh, a true division between them took place over John Mark. And like I said, we encourage those of you who are just joining us, go back and listen at least to podcast number six, Friday's uh, podcast, which, which, uh, where we discussed at length the parting of the ways between Paul and Barnabas. And so where we picked it up today was in Acts chapter 15, verse 40. Can you read verse 42, as Brother Jeremy? Yes. <clears throat> and Paul chose Silas and departed, being recommended by the brethren unto the grace of God. So now this begins Paul's uh, second missionary uh, journey. He had initially wanted to do it with Barnabas, but they had a division over John Mark, who originally had left the mission field in their first journey, that two-year period. Now, Paul, if you think about what's happened here, up until this point, Paul's uh, experience in the New Testament church uh, has only been uh, with his ministry partner, Barnabas. It, it was It's quite a thing here because, you know, what we're witnessing in essence now is that though it would seem like a tragic thing, and we, that's why we say go back and listen to podcast number six, it really wasn't. Again, we see the hand of the Holy Spirit. It was time. And, and a lot of times, sometimes when relationships end and others begin, you know, we, we, we suffer the sadness of it. But in the context of the church, if we're walking with God, we need to understand that not everything that seems to be a bad, you know, that seems might seem to be a sad or bad thing to us at first could very well be the hand of God working within our lives, ending certain things in order to begin others in a different form. doesn't mean that we have to completely sever ties with people in the sense of the emotional connection and the prayers that we have for people, because Paul would later mention him like we looked at on Friday, uh, where he talked about Barnabas and, and Mark and so forth and so on. Uh, but here we see again the hand of the Holy Spirit, because remember what we're looking at is Paul's journey to Athens and ultimately his exclusive focus on the nations of the world, uh, which if it hadn't happened, we wouldn't be sitting here talking today <laughs> because we are right. of those Gentile nations, right? Mm -hmm. So yes. the Apostle Paul, yeah, were you going to say something, brother? No, no, yes, brother, that's, that's true. We wouldn't be here. right? We wouldn't Amen. be here, right? So his second missionary journey, which he intended to take with Barnabas, it wasn't the will of God. And and we know that now in hindsight when we look at the history of it and all that came out of it. Of course, it, it, it was God's will that it happened this way. Uh, and so the Holy Spirit is incredibly strategic. And, and oh, if we had, you know, which is why we're going to have an eternity to discuss these things, because they're just so many depths of understanding and avenues and pathways we can take. 
uh, as we explore each individual life and then how they are strategically fit together by the Holy Spirit to comprise what we call the church and how it came to be. So what we see here, it says in verse 40, is Paul chose Silas. It's the first independent thing he's doing. It's a new phase in his life. A transition is taking place now. The great great apostle has entered into another level of the school of the Holy Spirit. He's choosing his own ministry team. It's incredible. And, 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 And he made wise choices. (laughs) <laughs> so understand how amazing it is if we can see it, how amazing it is the way the Holy Spirit had St. Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, record all these events. Because truths are revealed in the book of Acts that are both what I like to call micro-truth and macro-truth. Right? Micro-truth in the sense that the way that things are written in the book of Acts it reveals the individual working of the Holy Spirit in developing the individual and how he worked. If you'll take your time and go through these historical accounts and, and, and ponder each individual that's mentioned and see what happens with them, you're seeing the working of the Holy Spirit in an individual life. The second thing is the macro meaning it's how it's written, is the bigger picture. In effect, uh, the effects of such working of the Holy Spirit in the overall development of the Lord's church, which has impacted the church now for 2,000 years. So it's both. When you do your own studies in the Scripture, always look for that. The, The smaller individual working of the Holy Spirit in single lives, and then the collective, the big picture, as to how he works through his nation or his His church. And then so this brings us to Acts chapter 16. Could you read verse 1, Brother Jeremy? Yes. Then came he to Derby in Lystra, Lystra. And behold, a certain disciple was there, named Timotheus, the son of a certain woman, which was a Jewess and believed, but his father was a Greek. So they leave, and they set off on the second missionary journey. And after visiting uh, the churches of Syria and Cilicia, uh, the Holy Spirit has has Luke draw our attention uh, to where Paul led them, which was Derby and Lystra. And now it's here in verse 1, after some 16, 17 years or 18 years of church history now, uh, the great Bishop Timothy is introduced into the story. Paul and Barnabas have gone off. Uh, in the direction to Cyprus that the Holy Spirit took them, where John Mark would be developed and become a great gospel writer, as we talked about on Friday. And Paul himself would acknowledge his need for Mark, which caused the separation to begin with. But years later, at the end of his life, he would have uh, have it written in the final things that he wrote that he needed Mark to come and minister and help him in the ministry, which was so fascinating. But the missing Barnabas and Mark is now replaced by a Silas and a Timothy. But these are Paul's choices now. This is Paul growing into the next phase of his leadership capacity. And and <laughs> and this is where Timothy's introduced to us. You know, Paul was revisiting the places he had been some two, two and a half years before, 
you know, Lystra, Derby, Cilicia, Syria. These are places that him and Barnabas had gone on their first missionary journey. And now he's returning, uh, you know, three, four years later. And in Acts chapter one, our attention is drawn to two particular cities where Timothy is, Lystra and Derby. Now, uh, note this, this Lystra and Derby or the mention of Lystra and Derby. It could easily just pass us by without, uh, if we don't take note, uh, you know, and pause and consider uh, why the emphasis here. Well, one, we know uh, Timothy's there, but two, the two cities uh, is is where the Holy Spirit draws our attention to. So uh, it tells us that Timothy, in verse one, is called a disciple. So what we learn from that to begin with. Is, is that it shows the depth of the favor and the anointing that had rested on Paul and Barnabas's life in their first missionary journey when they had been through those cities two years, three years before. So the fruit remained. And so great was the work of Paul and Barnabas in those days before Timothy's introduced to us that it produced a Timothy. The famous Timothy, right? I mean, he became the bishop of Ephesus. This is a great man of God. And so what was, we're giving an insight here by the Holy Spirit as to what was actually taking place on the mission field with these two, Barnabas and Paul, right? I mean, it's incredible uh, that that the churches, number one, are still in existence. Number two, you're you're having disciples produced within the fruit of the ministry that they had been, uh, you know, been effectively used of the Holy Spirit to forge a new Gentile church, and out of it comes this great Timothy. And when I was thinking about that this morning, as we discussed before we started recording, I, I, I felt like the Holy Spirit had me thinking about about Timothy. Like, what affected him? You know, what did he see in Paul and Barnabas that kept him in the Lord? And then causes him to leave his house and go with Paul and Silas, eventually all the way to Corinth, which we'll see in Acts chapter 18. But, I mean, this is two and a half, three years later when when we come to Acts chapter 16 to Derby and Lystra. And, and I ask that question because when they show back up, he's, he's, he's ready to go on the mission field. He's a disciple. So I thought, man, that's, that's amazing to me. And I, and I wanted to see and ask the question. As we as we start wrapping this up today, um, I want to look at this because it's really quite amazing when you take it from the perspective of what was it that happened in in that region that affected Timothy so much uh, that three years later, three and a half years later, he's still walking with God. And not only that, he's a full-fledged disciple and he's selected by the Apostle Paul to become his his son, really. So in order to do that, <laughs> let's go back and read uh, Acts chapter 14. And and would you read to us verse 5 through 10, Brother Jeremy? I want to see what happened. And when there was an assault made both of the Gentiles and also the Jews with their rulers to use them despitefully and to stone them, they were, they were aware of it. And fled unto Lystra and Derby, cities of Ly- Lyconia. Yeah, Lyconia. region, Laconia, Lyconia. Mm-hmm. And unto the region that lieth round about. And there they preached the gospel. And there sat a certain man at Lystra, 
impotent in his feet, being a cripple from his mother's womb, who never had walked. The same heard Paul speak, who steadfastly beholding him and perceiving that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, Stand upright on thy feet. And he leaped and walked. <laughs> so the first thing that, that quite possibly Timothy either heard of or witnessed as part of this whole, you know, uh, gathering of people in, in Leicester and Derby, uh, what we're told here is, is they arrived there. First, we're told in, in what Brother Jeremy just read, they had to leave Iconia because the Jews and their rulers were jealous of, of, of them and stirred up trouble, and they're getting ready to, to, to stone them to death. And it, word came to them, and so they leave, and they go where Timothy is. Although he won't be introduced uh, for another three years, that's where he was, in Lister and Derby, in the region of Laconia. And, and so he hears the gospel preached, but what really he begins to witness is what Brother Jeremy read in verse 8 and, and, and 9 and 10. That great miracle of a of a of a paralyzed man, an impotent man, Paul with a loud voice, uh, you know, commands him to be healed in the name of Jesus. And and what's interesting in verse nine? Can you read verse nine to us, Brother Jeremy? It says, um, "The same heard Paul speak, who steadfastly beholding him, and perceiving that he had faith to be healed." Well, this kind of gives us an insight into what he was preaching, you know, because I, 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 you, you know, he was talking about how great the Lord Jesus Christ uh, is, and and what he was doing in his public ministry, and how many people had been healed in Israel, and 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 he got you know to the part of 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 you know healing the the lame and opening blinded eyes and all that stuff. The Holy Spirit moved on this man. And and when Paul saw him, it says Paul beholding him, he saw he had faith to be healed. The stories Paul was preaching in verse 7, preaching the gospel, included the great miracles of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And it caused this impotent man, verse 8 tells us he'd been crippled since his mother's womb. This is a Gentile now. Yeah, he didn't hear that from the gospel of Jupiter and Mercury. Right? He didn't hear that from Apollo and Zeus. I mean, he's never heard anything like this. And and now he's hearing this powerful message. This is Paul preaching, man. This isn't, you know, some Reader's Digest seminarian that just graduated from Bible school last week. I mean, this is the Apostle Paul. And so the anointing of the Holy Spirit when he's preaching is powerful. So much so that it pierced the mind of a Gentile who's never even heard of God. But if this Jesus can do what you say, and the, and that mysterious component of the Holy Spirit that that moves upon men's minds and heart when the gospel is preached, Paul saw him and saw that he had faith to be healed, and he yelled right with a loud voice, "Get up in the name of Jesus!" And he was instantly healed. That's <laughs> that's, that's mm. just awesome to me, man. Because that's what happened, right? You gonna say something, brother? No, I, you know, I, I see, I see, mir- I see preachers today trying to perform miracles, and they're taking their time, and and you know, 
getting the attention and you know it's just very vague paul just right. said it be healed <laughs> he he mm-hmm. felt the faith of the brother you know who was as, as he was preaching and just said be healed get up you know uh, that's missing today <laughs> it is and, and you think about the quality of the gospel you know the yes. the, the depth of the gospel uh, the anointing of the Holy Spirit working with the gospel and confirming the word with signs following, right? right. Consider that 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 this pierced into his very, the bowels of his being. Such exuberance, such ecstatic moment of revelation and belief. I mean, he led him there in his preaching. He led him there. He brought him to that heightened expectation by the anointing of the Holy Spirit preaching Christ. It shattered Hallelujah. everything around him and broke into his his world that he had lived in since his mother's womb, being born out of his mother's womb. It says in verse, in verse 8, there was a certain man impotent in his feet, crippled from his mother's womb, who had never, ever walked <laughs> hallelujah glory to god i've heard people talk about i you know uh children i've seen children like from saint jude and stuff uh, that 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 you know don't that they have that problem they're, they're they had some sort of disease when they were little or something they've never walked and they sit in little wheelchairs and and i've seen testimonies of them uh where they say they dream about running and playing if they could have anything, it would just be to stand up and walk. Well, that's a child. Well, this is a man now. And, and and people haven't changed. I mean, how many days did he see people walk by him? How many children did he have to listen playing in the streets of Lystra and Derby when he was little and wish that he could go outside and play like any child? All of that, you know, and I don't want to be melodramatic, but you just go through a lifetime of that. And you're living in a culture that's full of idolatry, and there's no hope there. They have never heard the gospel. They haven't even heard the name of Jesus. And 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 here comes somebody, Paul and Barnabas, uh, full of the Holy Spirit. And the man that's preaching this message is unlike anything you have ever heard in all the mythology of the Greeks and the Romans. Never has it been said that one of the gods ever healed anybody. But here he comes preaching this this man uh, who <laughs> named Jesus and and what he, he healed people he he made lame people to walk he opened blind man and then you throw the, the the power of the Holy Spirit on those words it got a hold of him now see we're talking about Timothy what in the world got a hold of Timothy that three years later he's ready to go on the mission field he witnessed this. Yeah. Or at least heard about it, right? So, so yeah, it, it was it, it was you know he he must have. He, I mean, remember that the churches were not scattered. You know, it was kind of like a church per city, right, or town. So yeah. I'm pretty sure yeah. Timothy got a chance to see the display of the power of God, the display of the Word of God, how it was being ministered, what it was producing. You know what, yeah. what you said. That's what we're talking about. It just didn't, it just didn't impact this lame man, but it was impacting a young Timothy who was watching, 
and, and paying yes. attention that three years later he's a you know he wants to go <laughs> he's ready to go you yes. know to this missionary that's the quality that's the power of the gospel the, of, of these men of these servants of god coming over them and and that that right when he, during he's when, when he's preaching this happens <laughs> you know what i'm saying yes. it wasn't this big show it wasn't this big thing you know this is a miracle oh. week today we're going to have a miracle crusade and and you know we're going to preach about <laughs> healing no 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 it was just preaching the gospel what you said jesus christ yes. and people were being healed during the sermon incredible and, yeah. and a church was born out of it right because they hadn't had yeah. a church yet there but this is where the church gets born now the response of these uneducated unscriptural people to this miracle was verse 11 uh read that to us all the way through verse 18 would you brother 11 through 18 we got time here we'll, we'll hurry up yes <laughs> and when the people saw that paul had what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in the speeches of Lyconia, uh, Lyconia, mm -hmm. the gods are come down to us in the likeness of men. And they called Barnabas Jupiter and Paul Mercurius, because he was the chief speaker. Then the priest of Jupiter, which was before their city, brought oxen and garlands unto the gates and would have done sacrifice with the people, which then the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of, of they rent their clothes and ran in among the people crying out and saying, Sirs, why do we do these things? Why do you these things? We, are also, are, we also are men of like passions with you and preach unto you that ye should turn from these vanities unto the living God, which made heaven and earth and the sea and all the things that are therein, who in times past suffered all nations to walk in their own ways. Nevertheless, he, nevertheless, he left not himself without a witness in that he did good and gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. And with these sayings, scarce restrains they, the people, that they had not done sacrifice unto them. This is incredible to me. You know, as you were reading and just thinking, uh, you know, they went nuts. I mean, they absolutely <laughs> lost their mind, man. I mean, you know, this is church with the Apostle Paul and Barnabas, right? When was the last time you were in a service <laughs> like this, right? I mean, <laughs> 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 I think it's incredible. I would tell you what, you got stuff like that going on in our churches today. You you won't have any trouble getting young people like Timothy to believe, right? I mean, this is this is <laughs> this is cool, man. I don't want I want to go be part of that. I mean, there's some stuff going on over there, man. I mean, that's that's amazing to me, man. See, you can't fault them because they really, you know, they didn't get it yet, you know, but but this great miracle happens and just like you read brother uh they all go crazy and 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 they they end up thinking well they use they use the roman name jupiter and mercury but really they're they're in greek territory and and it's the same god uh zeus and hermes i mean the greeks mm -hmm. would have called him zeus and, and and hermes his son but uh what's what's amazing to me is what what's being told here is they literally thought that 
that that the gods had come down. And 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 I love what we see here in Paul because uh, he could have basically become the man of the of the hour, right? But but he does everything to wreck their idea of of God. But you know, I want yeah. I don't want to talk. Too, yeah, I don't want to talk too much about it, other than to say this, because remember where we're headed. This week, we're getting to Athens, where Paul will be alone, and will preach mm-hmm. a sermon. Uh, a message uh, to to the highest uh, seat of intellectual and philosophical and political thought in the world in Athens. But here, several years before, we see the the ability of the Apostle Paul already being developed. Barnab- Barnabas is with him, but the Holy Spirit is is beginning to develop his concept, his theology of how do you reach a world that has never even opened the Bible? How do you appeal to them? The skill level that the Holy Spirit gave him is masterful in in the argument that he set forth because by the time he's done talking to them, uh, they kind of lost, they kind of went, yeah, it's kind of stupid. Take the ox back to the temple. I mean, this is kind of stupid, you know, based on what he just said. Because verse 18 says uh, they, you know, it stopped them, but 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 it made them think. Otherwise, they would offer sacrifice. But it's just you know, barely in the nick of time. Basically, it says these things scarcely restrained the people, but it did. They they didn't offer sacrifice because, in many ways, like we were saying, you know, once he gets to Athens and and he preaches to them, uh, there are components of this message you just read, brother Jeremy. This this message that he's preaching to these people in Leicester and Derby, uh, there's components of that message that are going to show up in Athens. Uh, But already, like we said, the Lord is teaching him how to reach the world that is void of Scripture. It's really incredible. Let's take a look at it real quick. We'll only be about another five to eight minutes, Lord willing, uh, and and we'll pick it up from here tomorrow on our way to Athens, right? So (laughs) verse 15 you know, he draws their attention away from himself to begin with, right? Can you read verse 15 to us, Brother Jeremy? Yes. It says, and saying, sirs, why do you, why do ye these things? We also are men of like passions with you and preach unto you that ye should turn from these vanities unto the living God which made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all things that are therein. So number one, it's incredible how he begins to appeal to them. Uh, He says, first of all, unlike preachers today, right, he draws attention away from himself. He minimizes who he is. And he says, we're just like you. We're men just like you. (laughs) You know, Unless we think that that's ah that's pretty cool, you know we don't get it. This is a temptation, if if it could be. You know, look at look at how the enemy uh, tried to wreck the miracle. Right, he tried to wreck the church by introducing. I mean, he he caused the people to get so excited. Word reaches the temple priest of Jupiter and Mercury, or Zeus and Hermes, however you want to call it. Uh, when it says he was at the, in verse uh, 
where it says in verse 13, then the priest of Jupiter, which was before the city. Uh, if you do your study, you'll see that what they mean by before the city is that's where the temple was of Jupiter. And and the word reaches him of this miracle that happened. And and he, he's like, oh, they're here, you know, Jupiter and Mercury are here. And then he, he leads out a, an ox. Uh, and when it says there's garlands, that's how they used to bring oxes for sacrifice to the to their false gods. They would they would like put flowers on them and stuff, and they bring them uh, to Paul and Barnabas. And uh, and you know this is this is this is the enemy right here, man. He's trying again to uh, to thwart what's happening here. And and I find it incredible that that Paul runs right in the middle of it, Paul and Barnabas. And, and and then begins to preach to them and stop them, stop the madness. And and he starts first and foremost by minimizing his own importance and 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 telling them we're just men like you. And then he exposes their false gods, right? He says the truth is what we are preaching to you is you're supposed to turn away from what you're doing here. You know the worship of Jupiter, yeah. and, or you know all that. Uh, unto the living God, He exposes their false gods, and He points them to the living God. And then He goes on to say, "What? Who is this living God, brother Jeremy? What does He say at the bottom of verse 15? Oh, it says, "Which ha- which made heaven and the earth and the sea and all things that are therein." So what He first begins to uh, appeal to is their is their philosophical nature and he says listen what we're preaching to you is is the living god and 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 he says he made the heaven he made the earth he made the sea what's interesting and can easily go by us is that that the gods of the greeks and the romans they all came either from the from the universe the heaven from the earth or from the sea, like, like what's that Aquaman or whatever his name is, Neptune or whatever. <laughs> right? That's what they believed in Neptune, the God of the sea. Right. So he, he instantly attacks their, their ignorant uh, theology and says, what we're preaching to you is, is a God who made the material world. And so he begins to masterfully deal with with a concept that is so radical, it's radical thought. Because what he's teaching about Zeus and Hermes or Jupiter, Mercury, whichever label you want to call them, as Paul is teaching, he points them, uh, if you think about it, to the fallacy of their theology, right? Because he says your gods, in essence, they function as gods in the universe. They're confined to this dimension of time and space. But what I'm preaching to you says is that there's a real God, a living God, and he stands outside of all of it. <laughs> uh, maybe I've gotten too loud, but this is incredibly deep thought that he's communicating. Because what the Apostle Paul is actually laying forth is incredibly, incredibly audacious in its understanding. Don't let it skip by. It's incredibly deep. Because what he was saying is that there's multiple dimensions 
outside of the material realm. That's what he's saying to them. And that there's no dimension outside of the living God. That's what Solomon said, right? I'm making you a temple here in Jerusalem, but really the heavens of heavens can't even contain you, God. You're outside of everything. And that's what Paul begins to introduce to them. He's outside of all of it. <laughs> and he's confined by none of it. There is no dimension that, 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 that's outside of God. This is heavy stuff he's talking about here. And he made everything. He made the heaven. He made the earth. He made the sea. All the places of the false god of your mythology, you know, basically is what he's saying to them. All of those places were made by the God I'm preaching to you. And what does he say in verse 16, yeah. Brother Jeremy? Who in times past suffered all nations to walk in their own way. Basically, he was saying, look, he's allowed your ignorance up until this moment. In essence, you know, you just don't realize what's happening here, right? You know, he's allowed you to be ignorant all these years until now. But but now he's reaching to you. He's revealing himself to you. That's what he's done in this great miracle, right? And and he sent us, me and Barnabas, to tell you about it. And, and of course, uh, about the Lord Jesus Christ, because that's what caused the miracle. But look, uh, let, let's take a look at this. Lest they would argue and say, you know, that's not cool. That's not fair all this time. We've been ignorant of him. He hasn't revealed himself to us. Paul then, by the Holy Spirit, responds brilliantly. How does he do that in verse 17, Brother Jeremy? says, uh, <clears throat> oh, nevertheless, he left not himself without witness, in that he did good and gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. So, unless they could argue it ain't fair, he's saying God hasn't left himself without a witness. He's been trying to speak to you the whole time. And he shows it to them by pointing them to nature, just like he did when he wrote the book of Romans, right? When he talked about there's 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 the there's two things that everyone can know about God, and it's known by reviewing uh, by by observing creation itself. He begin that theology was being birthed here as he's searching and being inspired by the Spirit of God to speak these words, and and he shows to them that the Lord has not left Himself without witness. He shows the Lord's love for them even though they didn't recognize it, and he says, "Look, He has sent you rain from heaven." He's given you fruitful seasons. He's filled all of our hearts with, with good and gladness. And what he was trying to say to them, that's the God I'm talking to you about. And he's been with you all along. You just didn't know him. Mm. Well, when he said that, what happened in verse 18? And with these sayings, scars restrained they the people that they had not done sacrifice unto them. <laughs> well, you know, that's the real high King James English. Basically, it gave them pause. And they went, huh. Wow. Never thought about <laughs> that. Hadn't <laughs> thought about that. <laughs> and, and suddenly the, the priest kind of hangs his head and leads the ox back to the temple, and the people begin <laughs> to scatter. You know, everybody goes home. I mean, they're on their way home. Except now it's really dangerous. 
because yeah. because the effect of this powerful message that he just gave to the unbelieving ones, right? It reverberated in the spirit realm. It got Satan's attention. And and his response was that he sends somebody to Paul. What is it? Verse 19. Could you read that? And there came to there certain Jews from Antioch and Iconium, who persuaded the people and having stoned Paul, drew him out of the city, supposing he had been dead. So look at the viciousness of the countermeasure. Right, we got moves and counter moves taking hit place here between the spirit of God and, and and the wicked one, and 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 so the sacrifice was stopped, but he sends the Jews from Iconium who tried to stone him before he ever got there. Remember, they left because they were warned uh, that they that they they were going to try and stone him, so they left. That's how they came to Leicester and Derby. But look who else shows up, guys from Antioch. Remember how they got jealous because uh, the Gentiles were getting saved. <laughs> and they were hanging out in the synagogue. They're, they're mad at Paul. So the devil stirs up these people to show up precisely at the moment that this is happening. This is incredibly deep stuff. And maybe I'm giving too much information today, but it's Monday. But this is, this is, this is, this is the devil already moving in advance. He could sense so that precisely at the moment that he needed it to happen, these people show up. And what did they do? They stoned Paul. And what was he trying to do now? From this one message and miracle, he's trying to destroy the apostles to the Gentiles before they even really get started. Man, we could really explore that in such depth, but we'll just move on. They stoned him. And check this out. In verse 19, it says, they, remember, we're talking about Timothy. He's witnessing all this. <laughs> and the people of the whole region are witnessing all this. So they drag his body out of the city. He was dead, or they thought he was. Mm. They killed him. They killed him, and and <laughs> and then they threw him out of the city. They dragged him out of the city. Now the next verse just blows my mind. Can you read verse twenty? How be it? As the disciples stood, stood around about him, he rose up and came into the city. And the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derby. Which is the next city, right? They're like, like you said, tied closely together. But check this out. I, I, I was thinking about that this morning as I was reading this and reviewing it for today's podcast. And I just had to laugh. Because like, this is an intense day. And imagine the sounds and the, you know, the rejoicing of the impotent man who's healed and everybody praising God and the word reaching the priest and all that stuff that happens. This great sermon he preaches. The Jews show up and they kill him and they drag his body. This is one heck of a day. <laughs> they drag his body out and leave him for dead outside the city. And what really made me laugh, besides these stupid dogs barking, is... Uh, how the disciples it's a, this miracle right the disciples are just standing in a circle staring at his body mm -hmm. nobody's praying or anything <laughs> you know like he's 
And like, right. look at him. He's dead. He's dead. <laughs> he's not wow. moving. They're just standing there, man. But oh, I mean, if I was preaching under a tent somewhere, I would, I would, I would get real dramatic here. But but somebody saw his <laughs> pinky, somebody saw his pinky move, right? Suddenly his pinky starts to move, and is he breathing? And they start seeing his chest expand and contract, and his eyes start to blink, and he gets up. Incredible, dusts himself off. <laughs> oh, I don't even know what they were thinking. But it, it, it affected Timothy, obviously. He he either heard about it or he saw it. But the story of it was so profound. This is the tenacity of Paul. Dude, the last thing, right? The last thing I would do is get up and, and go back to the place they just killed me. <laughs> it's incredible. <laughs> so, so let's just conclude with this. Could you redo his verse 21 through 23, brother? Yes. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and had taught many, they returned again to Lystra and to <laughs> Iconium and Antioch, confirming yeah. the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith and that we must, through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God. And when they had ordained them elders in every church and had prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. Incredible. So they return, they go back the way they came, and they're coming to the end of their two-year journey here, and, and uh, they go back to Antioch. Well, you know, they go through the very cities where they threatened them. This is incredible. And really, if you study it out, you'll see that their, their two-year missionary journey they took, which affected Timothy and that whole region of Lystra and Derby and Iconium, uh, they traveled almost 1,400 miles on foot, brothers. Isn't that incredible? Mm. 1,400 miles on foot over a two-year period and established those churches. Mm -hmm. Verse 22, it's very interesting uh, because Paul takes that persecution where they stoned him and left him for dead outside the city. He uses it as a point of encouraging the brothers, but he also gains a prophetic understanding by which another piece of the gospel is being formed in his theology when he says in verse 22, it's going to be through much tribulation that we enter the kingdom of God. That's incredible. And I'll just leave that with you all to think about, but but then what do they do? They set elders in place in verse 23 in every church. And when they had prayed and fasted, uh, they, they let them go and they returned to Antioch. And so while they were gone, uh, it's almost two and a half, three years, uh, those elders, those miracles, those teachings and preachings were so incredible. And the display of Paul, his coat all tore up, you know, goes walking back into that city with big old black eyes. And, you know, he, I mean, it affected the young man to such an extent that when he returns three years later, Paul, in chapter 16, verse 1, Timothy's now called a disciple, and he's about to take a journey with Paul on his second missionary 
journey. Tomorrow, we'll explore what happened on that second missionary journey, which is bringing them all the way to Athens. And we're getting closer. But through it all, we see the hand of the Holy Spirit as as the early church uh, continues to be formed and preserved like only God can do. I draw great courage and great strength from these men and from the early church. Because the times that we find ourselves living in now are just <laughs> as intense as this. Trust me, they are. And uh, And I know that we're going to need to draw strength from these brothers and to understand that the Holy Spirit, in the midst of all the chaos and craziness that we see taking place, we're two weeks away here in the United States from probably the most significant election in the history of our country. Um, but, it, it, you know, it, it, that's neither here or there. The point is, the whole world has changed. The whole world is being redefined. And what God is trying to do is encourage his people and let them know that even in the fragility of the burgeoning early church, when 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 human nature and events and all kinds of things would seek to, to interfere and, 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 and run roughshod over this beautiful expression of the habitation of God, the, the, the royal priesthood, the chosen generation, as Peter would describe it, the church of the living God was preserved by his spirit. It's been 2,000 years. We know that the signs of the times are dictating to us that the Lord is, is soon to return. We know that there, as Paul would reveal, there is yet a tribulation to experience before we enter into the kingdom of God. As it was in the beginning, so shall it be in the end. But through it all, we're still here. And that, brothers and sisters, gives us the strength to know this is not a work of men. This is not religion. This is not some philosophical concept or imaginings of, of some deep sage on top of the Himalayas somewhere. This is built on the blood of Calvary and the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And it's why no one has been able to defeat it and no one ever will. Even so, Lord, come quickly, we pray. We hope you join us tomorrow. We went a little long today, but we couldn't just leave Paul outside the city looking at him dead. <laughs> we had to see him get up and know how deeply it affected Timothy. He was waiting for him, and his whole life was about to change, and that's where we'll pick it up tomorrow when Paul chooses him and they head off as we make our way to Paul in Athens. Brothers, that's it for today. Praise the Lord. Amen. We, we we pray that you have been blessed as we have been blessed and we're looking forward to continue on this journey. And all these nuggets that we're getting were necessary in the developing amen of the church. <laughs> Hallelujah on earth. And we thank God for all of this. May God bless you. May God keep you. And as always, keep looking up.